there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, Dr. Batar, if we need evidence that consciousness has been shifting ever since we've been doing this program, we're not saying we're the cause of it. We've certainly observed it, reported on it, maybe maybe moved it a little in hopefully the right direction. We've certainly got some stories that are really positive and powerful in indicating that the information we're presenting here is landing for people that need it most. And I am, I am certain that that's uh, not by coincidence. It's by design. I believe it's a much higher design, Robert. But I'll let you go and go through the statistics first. Well, yeah, and I, I don't know that it's our design. If we have any small part to play in it, it's. I've talked about like our our friend Ann Archer Butcher talking about inner guidance. We get our guidance, our marching Perfect. orders from high above or deep within, and uh, you know we have a this this. I don't know if it's an urgent need, but it's certainly uh, like breathing for me and you to communicate this message that empowers people to get well, to teach them how to get well. And, of course, it's disturbing to those who like to control and own people. Last hour, we opened with a story from Australia where the, the news media down there is complaining because in Perth, Western Australia, there's a billboard that says, do you know what's in a vaccine? Question mark. That's it. And my gosh, they are freaking out. They want to ban the billboard. Like, how dare they ask that question? It's like, wait a second, what is the basis of science? Asking questions. And, of course, if you ask that question, it could lead to some very uncomfortable facts, and people might make different decisions about their willingness to accept injections with what's in those vaccines. Absolutely. It makes them uncomfortable, and so that's why they react in the manner that they do. But when I said by design, I meant from the universal consciousness, from a much higher mm-hmm. order than you or I or anybody else on this planet. And I think that this is something that nine years ago we started talking about, that the awareness is increasing. It's actually increasing at an exponential rate now. And I think that the study that you sent or the article that you sent regarding the doubling among teenagers of the use of uh, non-conventional medicine, alternative medicine, integrated medicine, Mm-hmm. is just another uh, validation of that statistic that uh, more and more people, as they become aware, are drifting to the better option because common sense dictates this is the first option. There's nothing alternative about this. This should be the primary uh, direction that one goes in. In fact, that's why I call it advanced medicine, because I believe it's an advanced, more evolved uh, way of looking at the human body and addressing the needs of the human body and addressing any disruption or pathology that affects the human body and so that's what I think people are naturally gravitating to because I think our, our society is becoming more evolved and, and it's becoming more conscious. This study was published in the JAMA Pediatrics Journal, and they've uh, targeted since 2003, 15 years now. Uh, these kids and these teens, they're using omega-3 fatty acids, uh, melatonin they mentioned. I mean, there's a lot of things I don't necessarily use, but at the same point in time, the picture, funny enough, on the article, it's all drugs. I mean, if you look at these pictures, those don't look like dietary supplements. They look like stock photos of drugs, uh, which is the irony here. 
there are three stories, and we're going to hopefully get to all three, but this is a big one. I mean, when you're talking your kids and your teens, this is typically not coming from them. That means the parents are making better decisions, different decisions, and saying, you know what, enough with all of these prescriptions. I mean, I don't think that they're abandoning them altogether because Big Pharma is still making a lot of money. They dominate everything, but the reality is the growth has them concerned. The growth in dietary supplements has them greatly concerned, and they're, guess what, using governments to attack these dietary minerals, supplements, herbs, because they couldn't compete in a free market for ideas, much less products and success for those products. Yeah, I think that the companies that are more economically sound as far as their business strategies are concerned, they're actually taking heed of this. So you see some of the pharmaceutical companies like Merck and some of the other ones that have actually started purchasing some of the bigger vitamin companies uh, have purchased Atrium and uh, Douglas Labs, I think, was part of that purchase. And so that was, I believe that was Merck that purchased Atrium. But you start seeing a lot of the pharmaceutical companies starting to move towards that direction because they see where the consumer demand is, where they're seeing where people are voting with their dollars. And so they're also taking heed. Some others, um, it's not necessarily the pharmaceutical industries, but other people that are opposed to this awareness and this evolution, I think they're vested in the status quo and they're threatened, and that's the reason that they react in the way that they do, just like the people from Australia and Perth that you said when they were up in arms about uh, the billboard. It's a perfect example of someone who is scared of moving forward mm-hmm. and react in a violent or in a negative manner because their um, future is dependent upon the status quo being maintained. Well, and then there's a violent opposition. Now, part of that violence is censorship. That's a violent act to shut somebody's free speech down, right? And this is what they call for because in 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 Australia, the uh, you know instead of trotting out a PhD scientist to defend the ingredients, they don't want to touch the question. They bring on a a grieving mom who lost the child to whooping cough because it was too young to be vaccinated, and they blame by inference unvaccinated children, which there was no evidence given that there was anything related to that in this particular case. And then they bring up herd immunity again another uh, 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 fiction created by the pharmaceutical fantasists. So we're dealing with uh, people that don't want to debate ideas, discuss scientific validations, and want to scream and shout you down or simply basically withdraw all funding for competing lines of research that might show that dietary supplements are better for your health than drugs. Yeah. Yeah, but that's exactly the point, and they, they will... These studies that have been put out, we've seen some of the examples of some of these studies that are just ridiculous. Um, they'll go through something as absurd as study finds that exercise leads to um, loss of body fat or something ridiculous. You know, some of these moments of death that we've had when we do the uh, little audio describing some of these studies that are completely without it. Why is anybody even doing a study? But they're taking money, they're putting um, money into stating the obvious, and then when it comes to things such as vaccines, things that really do make a difference, or, or the use of chemotherapy and cancer and looking at the success or failure rate of that, they won't put money towards that. They will put money towards really absurd, uh, intuitively obvious things that are moments ago, but they won't put money towards the things that really could make a difference. And the reason they don't want to put that money towards those type of studies is because, again, why would they want to validate the reason for the, for the masses to go against what they're vested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it exa- doesn't serve them any purpose. 
No, exactly. These are economic imperatives. They're not scientific imperatives, per se. The fact that they would argue against somebody asking a question, what's in a vaccine? You know, I ask the question, when you've lost the debate, what have you left to do? You either acquiesce and you say, my gosh, your arguments are stronger than mine. Let me look deeper into them, or maybe now I agree with you. If your livelihood depends upon not seeing that reality, the next step is going to be call for censorship. And it it could be calls for government to intervene, or it could be outright, we're going to yell and scream at you until you go away. And, of course, the so-called anti-vaxxers are not going away because they're the moms and dads of children who have been injured or killed by vaccines. And they are wanting to wake people up so that other kids don't suffer the way their kids suffer. So no amount of screaming and censorship is going to work. The more they do it, the more obvious it becomes. And there you go. Look, in 15 years, we got, what, triple, doubled the number of kids and teens that are on dietary supplements. That didn't happen because government intervened and said you should be on those things instead of drugs and vaccines. That happened because people were talking to one another and doing their homework. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think that more, as more people do their homework, more people become aware because of the association of, with others that are doing their homework. And as they become aware, that's the first step. You first become aware, then you become um, embroiled in the subject matter, and then you start, then common sense takes over, and then you realize that, my God, what, I can't believe I was doing X when I should have been always doing Y. And it's just a matter of evolution is all it is. It's, it's no different than a child when they're crawling, then they start to... Um, use support when they're walking, and then they eventually are running. It's the same evolution, and it's happening, I believe, on a global scale throughout the world society. All right. Well, we've got a secondary story among three that's a triumvirate of stories in addition. If you want to check them out, they're in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. You can also go to advancedmedicine.com, listen to hundreds of hundreds of hours of archives of advanced medicine with Dr. Batar together each and every week. We also stream in live through YouTube in addition to our home and broadcast radio syndication, GCN. And uh, right now, Dr. Batar is streaming live through Facebook as well. So plenty of places to listen and ask questions as well. Now, here's a secondary story to show shift in consciousness. Health officials alarmed. Now, anytime health officials are alarmed, I'm usually thinking not that there's an actual viral emergency out there, but, oh, my gosh, people are waking up and they're not vaccinating because that's the, the biggest alarm that they get. And that's true out in Texas. Listen to this. Texas vaccine resistance is up 20 times over the past decade. Dr. Batar, did you get that? 20 times over the past decade vaccine resistance in cities like Plano, Fort Worth, Austin, and Houston. And now they're targeting a humble little Waldorf school, Rudolf Steiner-inspired school in Austin, Texas, because 40% vaccine rate. I'm thinking, yeah, we're, we're almost, well, we're 60% of the way there. Well, this is what's interesting is that they'll, they'll talk about the resistance of these vaccines in these small communities and these small towns as if the problem lies with those that are not getting vaccinated, and this is where the herd, uh, herd immunity issue comes up. But in actuality, we all know that it has nothing to do with that. The reason that there is a, a, this, this uh, resistance is coming up is because the viruses and the bacteria that these vaccines are being designed for are mutating and becoming resistant. This is an evolution of the viral or bacterial populations as they're developing these vaccines they become resistant. It has nothing to do with people that are not being vaccinated 
because that doesn't make any sense. If they were vaccinated, and, and if you take a vaccinated population versus a non-vaccinated population, the non-vaccinated population should be more susceptible. It's not going to cause the people that are less susceptible, but that, are get, that have gotten vaccinated to become uh, less susceptible to the vaccine. So it's, it's a moronic argument. <laughs> you're right, you're right, because what we're seeing is that vaccinated populations apparently are more vulnerable so they have to lay on the moo-cow herd immunity discussion to try and alienate people who have woken up and said, you know what, I'm going to defend my immune system and my child's immune system in a different way. We'll get to that next. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Two hours a day, six days a week, and one special hour when we get to do advanced medicine with Dr. Rasha Bittar. You can check out advancedmedicine.com. You can also go to Dr. Bittar, D R B U T T A R.com. We have links in the show notes to get you there at robertscottbell.com. Archives available all over the web as well. Streaming through YouTube, and of course, uh, Dr. Batar is doing something I don't do, stream through Instagram. I'm impressed. And uh, Facebook Live as well. So a lot of ways to hear the show and be part of it, ask questions, and Dr. Batar answers some afterwards, as do I. And uh, Dr. Batar, we were talking about the consciousness shift this hour and evidence for it. And, you know, three stories. We're in the middle to the second one about Texas, that there's a 20-fold, 20 times resistance to vaccines, apparently, according to this article, is up. 20 times over the past decade. And then they're pointing out what? We talk about consciousness. You know about Rudolf Steiner and that movement out of, uh, I believe, in Switzerland, that area, really conscious about nature, the natural world, the laws of nature, and applying them. It would make sense because these people are more into organic food, being outdoors, and, of course, the idea of injecting healthy children, innocent babies, with toxic pollutants is, is just anathema to the Steiner schools. But that's not the only place it's happened. It just happened in there, which we knew for a long time. Yeah, so the the article itself, so what, of course, I haven't read it, Robert. I'm just looking at the highlights that, <laughs> that Super Don so kindly sent to me. But what was their excuse or what was their, um, what did they attribute this resistance to? What did they throw it on to? Well, the study was published in the Public Library of Science Medicine Journal, and that's where they list Plano, Texas, Fort Worth, Austin, and Houston. And they're talking about being national hotspots where health officials are proposing that a high potential for a disease outbreak exists. And their only evidence of that is that their vaccination rates in certain pockets is is dropping below their magic number that is no evidence in the peer-reviewed journals about 90%. And we've heard it be 94, 92, 93, 91, or somebody will go, well, we can't do 90 anymore, so let's just say it's 80. Let's keep them up over 80. They'll keep lowering it just to keep those still imprisoned in the vaccine construct. But this guy named Peter Hotez is promoting this idea that, man, oh, man, we've got to figure out a way to get these kids away from these parents. Right. So so they haven't really been able to establish a true resistance. They're just going by statistical data showing a decrease in those particular pockets of the population um, not getting their children vaccinated. Is that correct? Right. Reduction in vaccine compliance. That's right. Right. So you see that extrapolation between their non-compliance of vaccination, of the vaccination schedule and 
leaping to the conclusion that there is a resistance in the vaccine. Because if you look at the article, the way it's written, uh, the heading says, officials alarm Texas vaccine resistance up 20 times over past decades. So that sounds like that the vaccines are no longer working, whereas in fact, we know they don't work already. So that's Mm -hmm. one issue. And the second issue is it has nothing to do with vaccines working or not working. We know that they're detrimental, but they're creating an, uh, an illusion that those vaccines are the res- there's a resistance to the vaccines, whereas, in fact, it's an evolution of the mindset of the individuals in those right. pockets where they're not vaccinating their kids. So, yeah, exactly. It, it, but it's a consciousness shift. Clarity is coming through to those people, not because of anything government has been saying, because they've been propagandizing for the vaccine religion since there's been a vaccine religion. So you're talking about people that are stepping outside of the official story and getting information outside of the, the official channels. And that's what was freaking out the Australian authorities about this billboard that simply says, doesn't say don't vaccinate, nothing like that. There's nothing anti-vaccine about the billboard, except that it says, do you know what's in a vaccine? Maybe you should look into it. If anything, this is a good uh, marketing for the state of Texas for those pockets because it shows that the, ev- the population is evolving there faster. So, yeah. you know, Texas has always been kind of like, this is Texas and then there's the rest of the world. You know, it's just Texas. Don't mess with us. See the t-shirt? Yeah, the, everything else is outside. They've got the 95% mm-hmm. of the world's map is just Texas and everything else is periphery. So <laughs> yes. this is, but, but this is a good, uh, this is good information because it shows that those pockets of uh, population that are understanding this, um, that's maybe where you want to take your children to school, and that's maybe the areas that you want to go because you're going to have more people that are of like-mindedness. So mm-hmm. that's just fine. Well, also, uh, Texas is not a leftist stomping ground. Remember, the religious right? I'm more concerned about the religious left because their religion is the pharmaceutical mysticism that involves sacrificing your children on the altar of their church, and that dogma ultimately is in a syringe, and in that syringe are toxic poisons, aborted fetal cells, mercury, aluminum, etc., when we come back, we're going to talk about the third of our stories, evidence of consciousness shift related to modern medicine, and you're outgrowing it. You're listening to The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. All right, not to throw a wrench in the ointment, but real quick, for those of you concerned about children separated from their parents at the border, I got two words for you leftists. Medical kidnap. Where have you been? Where are you on that issue? That's happening right here every day in these United States. Parents removed from their children and vice versa based on pharmaceutical constructs, chemotherapy, vaccine issues, etc., experimental medications, medical kidnap. Look it up. That's a real thing. All right, Dr. Batar, let's uh, go to the third level now of this consciousness shift evidence that we're throwing out there for your consideration. And this relates to prostate cancer. And this is a Fox News article. It says, why more men are delaying prostate cancer treatment? And we've been warning men for as long as we've been doing this show, that the PSA, the prostate-specific antigen, is not specific to the prostate because women can test positive on a PSA test, which makes no sense as far as I know. They have no prostate. 
but also the fact that prostate cancer is so slow moving that people do nothing, they end up outliving the cancer, they die of something completely unrelated. So apparently the word's getting out there, Dr. Batar, because uh, even doctors are figuring this thing out and going, you know, we don't need to do radical prostatectomies the moment you have an elevated PSA or some other construct or test that they've done. Well, this uh, thought process about the prostate, it's um, the first time I was exposed to that was almost, uh, probably almost 15 years ago. And it was a Dr. Dawish that had given a lecture at a conference that I gave a lecture at as well. And he basically talked about, he specializes in prostate cancer. And he was talking about the mortality and morbidity of patients that had, had been treated with, uh, with radical prostatectomy without, versus getting no treatment at all. So you had two patient populations, both diagnosed with prostate cancer, uh, basically the same stages, and they, they were randomized into two different groups. One group had radical prostatectomy. The other one was treated with um, with conservative methods, no, no surgery, no chemo, no radiation. And they found that the group that had the radical prostatectomy, on the average, uh, the group that did not have any surgery, on the average, lived three times longer than the group that had the radical prostatectomy. So now understand that with the radical prostatectomy, you've gotten the prostate taken out, the cancer supposedly gone, and yet the group that didn't have anything done, no chemo, no radiation, and no um, radical prostatectomy, no surgical intervention, they lived on the average three times longer than the group that was treated. And so, and this is a doctor that's um, you know, specializing in prostate cancer. And the conclusion that... The, Obvious conclusion is if you've got prostate cancer, do nothing. If you're not, if you're going to do chemo, radiation, or surgery, it's better for you to do nothing. Now, there's mm-hmm. things that you can do that are going to proactively increase your uh, quality of your life and your lifespan and reduce the uh, reduce the detriments from the cancer. But certainly, from his particular study, and this was over 100 patients, chemo, radiation, and radical prostatectomy, their lifespan decreased on the average by threefold. So yeah. that's a very very strong. Um, argument to be made, and this, this correlates exactly with what you're talking about. Well, and, and also, uh, they give it a, a specific designation. I, you know how I love alliterations here? They've adopted an alliteration. There's an official word, and it's published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. JAMA now calls what they're doing watchful waiting. Watchful yep. waiting. Doc, Doc, can I have a prescription for some watchful waiting? Yes, certainly, of course. We don't, we don't want to do that. Dr. Batar is right about this, right? We've been right. You're right. So the consciousness is shifting because even the doctors are saying, you know what, maybe we were a little too aggressive on our you know, radical attack on the prostate or a chemical or a radiation of the prostate. So I'm really happy about this news. But you know, I don't know that it happened from a top-down perspective because there have been doctors that were probably ostracized for pointing this out before it became the official you know, accepted information of like, yeah, maybe, maybe we should be watchfully waiting instead of doing these other things. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. And this watchful waiting and observation, um, that's not to say that that's the only thing people should do. There are other things that you can do proactively. It's that you don't want to do something thinking that you're doing a positive, beneficial, taking a positive, beneficial action, and in actuality, contributing to the detrimental changes that have occurred in the body that led to the cancer in the first place. So you want to look at whatever intervention that is being suggested or whatever you may be considering and 
and ask yourself, does this make sense to me? Does it appeal to my intellect? And, I mean, that's really the, the litmus test right there, starting off with your own common sense. Does it make sense to take a poison to kill something? And how, if that does make sense, then how is the rest of my body going to respond to that poison? Or does it make sense to burn a certain part of my body that has cancer? And if so, then how is the rest of my body going to respond to that area that's been burned? Or does it right. make sense for me to cut out, et cetera, et cetera? Just follow the logic, and, and you will be amazed because your own brain will give you the answer. I mean, this is not rocket science. It's this intuitiveness, you know, that sixth sense, the gut feeling. I have some people that have no education in this arena, none whatsoever, but they come in and they're very adamant that they're not going to do chemo, they're not going to do radiation. And when you talk to them, you realize that these are people that have always allowed that sixth sense, that inner guidance, that's mm-hmm. God speaking to us, that gut yes. feeling, that's, that's God talking to us, that's the universal consciousness guiding us. Right. So rely and, upon that because it'll never lead you astray. Yeah, and it could be manifested through the microbiome. So definitely heal your gut so you can have that gut-brain connection speaking truth to so-called authoritarian power in the cancer industry. By the way, in the article later, it acknowledges that there are other cancers that they're now maybe taking this approach, including not, uh, follicular non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, some types of early-stage breast cancer, and an uncommon form of bladder cancer. Uh, So they're actually going, hmm, maybe we've been aggressive in other areas as well. Again, consciousness is shifting, folks. We're in the midst of it. Sometimes you don't recognize it. If all you do is watch mainstream media news, you're not going to catch it, although I will give them props because this article was in Fox News, and we have it linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Now, another cancer story coming up next. Diabetes. Maybe an early manifestation of pancreatic cancer. This is according to a new study in the Journal of the National Cancer Institute, published by Oxford University Press, indicates that recent onset type 2 diabetes may be an early expression of pancreatic cancer. Now, I, I wanted to almost go moment of dawn on this because anytime you have an organ that's malfunctioning, there's probably inflammation there. And years and years of inflammation, much less mineral deficiencies, can manifest one time, two times, ten times, every time later as cancer. But they're finally making another link here. Well, Robert, I think this is a moment of doubt because I have said this at least twice on the radio show. Once was when you had the gentleman that was brought up on charges of practicing medicine without a license, the one who had made the change for his own diet. He had diabetes. I think his name was Cook. Oh, yeah, Cooksey. That's right, the diabetes warrior. He's in North Carolina, and he just started telling everybody his story. He changed his diet, and his type 2 diabetes went away. Right. So that was once. That was the second time I brought it up. And then once previous to that, we had talked about something to do with the pancreas or something to do with diabetes. And I made the um, comment that I believe that when you start to observe some of these changes, there is uh, an indication that that particular organ system is under duress. In fact, that's the entire basis of our HEADMAP, uh, Advanced Health Evaluation Assessment for Detoxification Medical Assessment Program. We want to look at these organs of detoxification and, and enhance and upregulate them so that they're functioning to, as best as they can to eliminate various levels of toxicity that are in the body. So when you look at the pancreas, the pancreas is the organ that is responsible for regulating blood sugar, uh, releasing insulin, et cetera, et cetera. And when you end up having a problem with the beta islet cells not being able to produce enough of the insulin, which usually is secondary to metal toxicity, mercury toxicity, or other types of uh, conditions. It's either metal directly or it's uh, or persistent organic pollutant uh, issue, or it'll be a, a 
the third toxicity, the opportunistic issue, where a virus or bacteria will affect it because of the immunosuppression caused by either the persistent organic pollutants or the metals. Regardless of whatever it is, it creates a dysfunction in the beta islet cells, and so the insulin is no longer being released. But here's the other problem. A lot of it has to do with dietary intake, and so the person, it's not that they're not making enough insulin, but they become resistant to the effects of that insulin. And so there's, there's a, there's a double-edged uh, component here. There's two different sides that can contribute to this. Now, if you end up having that happening with sugar levels and the pancreas is having to override it, well, of course, that inflammation, as you said, is going to increase and you're going to have other types of dysfunction and you're going to have oxidative stress going on there. And it's a perfect breeding ground for cancer. So why wouldn't we see pancreatic cancer developing? Now, I will also go on to say that in any type of cancer, it doesn't matter what kind of cancer, one of the things we look at is how well the pancreas is functioning. Why? Because the pancreas uh, releases these, these, we need pancreatic enzymes. Um, in fact, this is a Dr. Gonzalez's work based on Dr. Right. Kelly's work. I based all my stuff on Dr. Kelly's stuff. So we have a very specific enzyme component to our cancer program. And it is looking at a very high level of trypsin and trypsin and trypsinogen because these uh, pancreatic enzymes are necessary to help digest not only the debris, but also from a theoretic standpoint, at least, to help to digest the proteolytic capsule around the tumors. So we look at individuals when we the certain tests that we do, and we're looking at pancreatic function. And here's the strangest thing, Robert. Any kind of cancer, we will start seeing a decrease in pancreatic function. And when we start them on these enzymes, we start seeing the pancreatic function come up, regardless of whether it's about pancreatic cancer or any other type of cancer. In fact, we even use this as a precursor where if somebody doesn't have cancer, we, on a routine level, will just happen to check the pancreas level and see how it's functioning. And if it's low, that is one of our uh, indications that a person needs to make a change here because this is driving them towards uh, the cancer side. So this is a perfect example. This, this particular story is a perfect example of where the connection is being made now, but it should have been an intuitive function. For example, looking at cancer again, sugar, right? Uh, cancer is an obligate glucose metabolizer. And to say that, oh, when you are cachectic and you have cancer, here, take Ensure, which is all sugar. Yes, mm -hmm. it does taste good. I agree with you. But <laughs> it's not the ideal dietary source when you have cancer. And these type of basic fundamental components that you shouldn't be taking Ensure if you have cancer because it's feeding the cancer. Um, and that correlation between sugar and cancer was made, you know, probably before you and I were even born. Yeah. And yet they're still doing it. Yeah, and remember, folks, too, and we've talked about this on and off the air for years, uh, lack of minerals also results in dysfunction. You know, you can't offload the sugar that insulin is carrying to the cells without the chromium. So there's a lot of factors in here. We're addressing them all. And that's why Dr. Nick and Dr. Kelly also, we talk about the coffee enemas, because you have inordinate amounts of en these enzymes in a good way, eating the cancer and breaking it down, and you got to get it out of the body. However you can do that, support the detox pathways. Folks, you can get the nine steps to keep the doctor away. You'll see it over my left shoulder if you're watching on YouTube right now, along with Dr. Nick Gonzalez's book, Conquering Cancer. we got one more segment. We're going to talk autism, including non-vaccine-related autism. Now, the Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. 
Did you know that what you feed your child who may be diagnosed onto the autism spectrum impacts those symptoms of autism? Yes, I wanted to play the moment of duh theme, but I don't want to take any seconds away from Dr. Batar on this segment because the Arizona State University study finally said what we've been saying for years as well, that it matters what you put into your kids, including injecting them, but they're not questioning that. They're just talking dietary connections between the symptom manifestation of autism, uh, and that is something that is important, and anybody who's got children on the spectrum knows that food matters. Absolutely. Food is the one substance, food, water, and air, but food the most, actually food and water probably the most, and, and even the air that you're breathing, but those three things are the the direct intake into your system of your external environment. So in order to optimize your internal environment, which is what we try and do when we detoxify, you must optimize the components of the external environment you're taking into your internal environment. So the water that you drink, the food that you eat, and the air that you consume needs to be as clean as possible because that just reduces the burden inside the body so you don't have that much uh, to detoxify, if you will. The, the body is constantly producing waste and it's constant exposure to different types of toxins. So if we can just improve the quality of the air we breathe, the quality of the water we drink, and the quality of the food we eat, we're going to have less burden to deal with. That way you have less to detoxify out of your body, and that means there's less chance of you getting pathology. Go organic, clean up what's going into the body, clean the water, clean the air, clean the food, everything you have control over. I know the air is more difficult when you're out and about, but heal the gut and you'll see improvements. Now, we're not saying it's the only thing, because as Dr. Batar has known so well and written about extensively, lectured around the world on it, that there's more to it than just those things. In, pa- in fact, it's what's in that syringe primarily, but not exclusively. That's right. Because there have been cases of autism in non-vaccinated individuals, but what is the common factor there, Dr. Batar? It's the consumption and or exposure to mercury in the parents and or in the child. I had one case of a child that came to us, and the mother was very um, astute, had taken out her amalgams, unfortunately did it during pregnancy, so that increased the load in the child. The child did not get any vaccines. Um, she herself was very adamant that the child was not going to get any vaccines, but then came to find that she was feeding the child brain food. And in her world, brain food was tuna. And tuna is one of the highest uh, levels of methylmercury uh, that we can consume in any, any food substance. And so, of course, the child responded to treatment within six months, eight months, was off the spectrum. His RAPTD score was well below 150. Anything below 200, we know that the child doesn't even need any more treatment. He started at like 280 or 290. Um, so the point being that the even in the non-vaccinated group, uh, the cases of autism are very few and far between. In fact, Robert, I think we covered this in one of the shows, if I'm not mistaken, on the children that were from the Amish community that had gotten autism. There was, I think, case six cases. But when they went back and they looked at those six cases, all six of those cases, the children had been vaccinated behind the um, community. In other words, you know, right. the mom went and got it done or the dad or somebody. Did you, do you remember that? I do, I do, and it was, it was, uh, you know, the theory was they don't vaccinate, but these kids had gone out and around due to one other parent or a family member, and so it turned out they were exposed via injectable uh, thimerosal. Right, but the key is that it's not just the thimerosal, as Robert said. The key is that it's almost like the straw that broke the camel's back. The biggest accumulation, I believe, of mercury toxicity in the child 
is based upon the maternal amalgam load, which is the dental filling. So six, uh, uh, um, one out of six women of childbearing age in the United States, according to the Centers for Disease Control, according to the mm-hmm. NHANES study released in 2003, are mercury toxic. And yeah. according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, one out of six children is being born with some type of a neurological uh, impact. That, that Dr. Bichar, I apologize for interrupting. We have breaking news here. I just see uh, the Journal of Trace Elements in Medicine and Biology coming up uh, September of this year. Low-dose thimerosal ethyl mercury is still used in infants' vaccines. Should we be concerned with this form of exposure? So just like we've been saying and you've been saying for years, the mercury still in the shots, folks. Don't let them lie to you that they're mercury-free. Robert, that's a, can you send that, send that to me? I just did. Skype? I sent it to you through okay. Skype. you got to see this. This is breaking news. Uh, we'll get that out. We'll probably cover it next week on Advanced Medicine, if you don't mind, Dr. Bittar, but that's big. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, folks. Yeah, I was at the breaking news, right? Right. The show where you got breaking news. That's all. Right, right. And we're just like, we're done. Okay, we're going to be back next week. I'll be back tomorrow, of course. And we have RFK Jr. talking about Mercury on Wednesday with uh, Ty Bollinger. In the meantime, tell them what they need to know because we got to go, Dr. Bittar. That the power to heal is unequivocally yours. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.